0: You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about a hundred and twenty, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language Acheldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, "May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas and who was called also called Justice in Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father, your word is alive. And this morning, this week, our prayer is that your words would be our life, that they simply wouldn't be studied, but they would be who we are and the power we live through. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, church, and welcome back to another online worship service uh as you can probably tell from the uh, video up to this point we're getting more comfortable with the technology uh, that we have here uh some might say too comfortable sorry the, we uh, have gone a little stir crazy this week as you can see and uh but we are so grateful that we have the ability to be able to uh you know stay connected and come and worship together gather together Using technology at a time when we can't be together physically and we're starting to feel more isolated and we're starting to feel a little stir crazy uh, but we believe that uh, that God uh, will not uh, allow us to in this time if we can't gather together physically uh, lose uh, sight of the importance of community and and grow disconnected from each other uh, we know that God Uh, Is still God, and that the church is still the church, and uh, that we are, uh, we've been placed where we have uh, in in the city and in our homes uh, to be a witness for Him, even in how we handle, especially in how we handle times like this. And so the fact that we can continue to gather together and to be encouraged from His word is so vital, I think, at a time like this. You know, as Matt was just reading that first chapter of Acts, and he was talking about uh, how excited we are to begin this series, that would absolutely be an understatement because there is so much in the book of Acts that we're going to look at over these next several months. Um, And and even at the pace at which we're going to go, which is pretty quickly, uh, it's still going to take us quite a while to be able to stop and see uh, most of what God has what god did in the early church through the power of his holy spirit working with as matt said just regular uh, people people who said god use me i believe in your power and what you can do and it truly did spread across this world like a wildfire you know if you open the bible and if you begin to read it you encounter a god in the old testament all the way back in the beginning you encounter a god who makes it very clear that you cannot function without him. Uh, the Bible is not just uh, some advice on how to live and some information about where we all came from, some answers to some big questions. No, the Bible is, uh, is, is a record of a, a relationship between a, a, a God and his people, his creation. And he makes it very clear from the beginning that, that we... Will not work unless we're connected to Him. We just won't work, and that's a hard thing for us to accept. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around, but it's true. You know, it's like if you—it's uh, like if you're watching TV and you take a, you pick up a remote and you go to change a channel, and it uh, and it doesn't work. Right here, I have a remote here. Okay, so you you're watching TV and you go to change a channel, it doesn't work. Oh no! No no no! Right! Oh shoot! You open it up, right? Oh, All right. One battery. One battery. Okay. Now I uh, I am amazed at how often this happens in my home. We have about uh, about fifteen remotes. In our house, we, have a, we do not have a single-story house. We have 15 remotes spread between uh, multiple stories of a house, and I'm pretty sure that between those 15 remo- remotes, we are, are using uh, two, maybe at most, three batteries, okay? So uh, so this is something that happens quite a bit in our house. Uh, you know, you open this, and, and you have one battery. You don't have two. And, and well, the way this remote works, I, I don't know if you're as much of an expert in... Uh, electronics as i am but if not i'll 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 teach you something now uh it does not matter how uh, charged up and how good this battery is it won't work without the other one right so you 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 know get out your 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 other remotes here and just just take them and you gotta figure it out so start you know working through them now oh hey look at that first try got some right Gotta hit them, gotta hit them. Okay, oh, oh no. Okay, so these are AAA. All right, these are AAA. So that's not gonna work, but I should remember this one because I'm gonna need these AAA batteries because they're probably the only ones in my house. I've I've got, this is a door on the bottom. That will not work. This, nope, empty. Okay, and uh, uh, AAA. Wow, a lot of AAA batteries. Not what I needed right now. Empty. Okay. Uh, we've got, this guy's got some weight to him. One triple A battery. All right. That will, that will do something. Uh, empty. Okay. And I've got the uh, two left guys, two left 50 50. I'm going to go with this. This is VCR one, one double A battery right now. This, uh, from the looks of it, this does appear to be a VCR plus remote control. So uh, I'm not even sure if you guys remember VCR plus, but uh, so I'm not sure if this battery is going to be any good, but you know, I'll, I'll try it. I mean, it's, it's certainly easier than a, uh, than having to get up and walk the the 10 feet to the drawer in my kitchen where we have a costco size box of AA batteries that i could easily use uh, you know this is something that uh i go through on a regular basis and uh and as much as i wish that uh, these remotes could work on only half the power unfortunately they don't it's not really how the circuits are set up to function and uh, this is exactly what the bible says we are. Uh, it says very clearly uh, that, that you need God in order to be you, in order to work at all. And this is so hard for us to wrap our minds around uh, because we are, we are caught up in this constant sort of relentless struggle for independence, for self-reliance, for the ability to take care of ourselves and, 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 and do what we want to do. In fact, uh, we even, when we're told by God who we are and how much we matter, we still desperately need to find an identity in something, whatever that thing may be, uh, so that we can matter to ourselves, even if God tells us that we matter to him. The Old Testament points us again and again and again to this great big God. And there is a word for this in the Old Testament, this completeness that comes from being connected to him. It's the word shalom. And and this word means absolute completeness and fulfillment. And this is the absolute greatest thing that you can aspire to in your life. The sense of truly being fulfilled, of truly prospering. It only can happen when you are connected to the God of the Israelites, to the God that we read about in the Old Testament. There's also this really clear sense, though, of it's going to get even better after this because someone is coming who is going to make this connection even stronger. And that's when we get to the Gospels, which are about uh, when Jesus comes into the picture. It's a whole new level of God being a part of the world of, of your life. It's a He comes in the flesh, literally. He the, all the mystery, all the distance between us and God, the sort of unapproachable, uh, awesome, face melting power of God in the Old Testament. You know, all of that uh, seems to be bridged and and, and is and is then uh, made into. Uh, this, this, this new way of connecting with God. He becomes veiled, it says to us in the Gospels. So God's power is veiled when Jesus comes in the flesh, which means it's like covered up enough that we can actually be in a real relationship with him. And so what happens? So if you read the Gospels, as we just gone through John a few months ago, what, what we see is that you can actually personally have a relationship with God, which is just crazy. But this completeness that we desperately need, that we, that we long for, we can't live without it, it is possible. And not just in a sort of, you know, he's so big and scary and I have to worship him because I'd be crazy not to, uh, but, but, but this, no, he actually gives life and I can trust him. He, he actually cares about me, he loves me. I see this in Jesus and the way he interacts with his disciples. They, they literally get to walk through life with him. He explains things on a level that, that you can relate to so well. He, he understands the way that we work because he made us. And as he comes and lives in the flesh, he, uh, we, we see in the way that he lives how we ought to live. He makes following God a thing that human beings can actually do. But he shows that the first step to following God is the very same thing that it was back in the Old Testament because things haven't really changed. And it's this, you have to repent. You have to recognize how much you need God in order to be connected to God. And what comes next? What comes after the gospel accounts? These accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry, which literally end with the greatest ending ever, he resurrects from the dead. He defeats the very thing that we are most afraid of having to confront in our lives, why is the entire world upside down and fearful right now? Huh? Why is everybody freaked out? It's not because we don't want to go to the store and have to buy a bunch of NyQuil to, uh, because we got sick for a week. It's not because we don't want to come down with a really bad cold and have to miss a week of work. It's not because we just don't like going to the hospital. It's because we are afraid of dying. We are afraid of death. Death is the ultimate enemy. And we're doing all of the things that we're doing so that we can avoid the spread of this virus that can kill many, many people. And one of the hardest things about it is that many of the people who have to take the most important steps in changing the way we live are not the ones who are at the greatest risk of dying, which means uh, we have to be motivated by this thing that really bothers maybe others more than us in in changing how we live. And it's not an easy thing to do, right? I mean, all of our lives are kind of turned upside down and paused right now. I mean, you're all watching this from computer screens and TV screens. And I mean, I guess that's actually kind of nicer than maybe sitting in church. But, you know, for me, this is like a nightmare. This is like every pastor's worst fear is uh, probably that you wake up and you have to go preach a sermon and there's literally nobody there, right? Like, oh no. Like, Something tells me that uh, I should just go ahead and stop doing this now because that's a sign, right? No, it's okay. I'm preaching to a room full of stuffed animals. The stuffed animal choir stuck around, and they're they're really, really responding well. The fact is, we're we're doing everything that we are to avoid death. We want to save others from dying if they don't have to. It is the greatest enemy. It is the thing that we fear the most. And it is the thing that we know affects all of us and frightens so many. And Jesus conquered it. He, he resurrected from death at the end of the Gospels. There is no greater ending to a story than that. And no greater ending to an account than that. So where do you go from there? In verse 6 of chapter 1 which Matt just read. I want to go back there. We we reread this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And stop right there. What... The apostles are standing with Jesus and they now, more than any other time, are absolutely convinced of the power that he has. Okay, they have no reason to doubt his ability to do anything. They've watched him be resurrected. And while following Jesus up to this point was, I'm sure, a matter of lots of doubt and lots of confusion and many steps of faith and probably not taking a lot of steps of faith that they wish they had taken, they now see, okay, this he's the real deal. This is for real. Like, he, he can do all the things he said. God is as big as Jesus says. We do need to listen to everything he says. And as they stand there before him after his resurrection, they ask him if he's going to come and if he's going to. The apostles are, are standing before Jesus, absolutely convinced of the power that he has. You see, up till now, following him has been a pretty unpredictable endeavor, I think it's safe to say. They have struggled with doubt. Uh, there's been persecution. They've watched Jesus be beaten, tortured, and killed, which is in no way what you would expect to see from someone who claims to be God and who is anointed of God, right? The, so, so up till this point, following Jesus is, 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 is something that does require a lot of faith. And now that he's defeated Jesus, uh, death itself, they have no doubt in what he can do. Okay, so they are sold on Jesus and 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 so what they what they ask of him is incredibly Predictable Because it's what every Jewish person would have asked of Jesus at this point. And it's this, are you going to finally do it? Are you going to finally restore Israel? And are you going to be the king and rule? And are you going to show the rest of this world who they've been messing with all these years? Are you going to finally make it so that God's people can be God's people again and everybody's going to see that they've been messing with the wrong nation? And are we going to finally get the power that we have come to expect from God. They want power. And as bad as that sounds, I don't think it's actually that bad. They, they are, are, are they're really saying to Jesus, I mean, we believe in you and, and, and in God, and so where's the power, right? Take your place, be the king. Let us be a part of that with you. We're tired of all of this, We're ready to be done. And so they ask him when he's going to take up his power and by extension when he's going to give it to them. I don't think this is that foreign of a concept for a lot of us. You know, uh, Jesus, I know that you can make my life better. I, uh, a lot of us can say that. We, we, we really do, b- we believe. We say, my struggle is not that I, maybe that I don't believe that Jesus is real, that he can do it. You know, I, I believe he can. I, I'm just not quite sure why he's not doing it, but I believe he can. I, I know that you can fix what's going on. I know that you can defeat the enemies that I'm up against. I, 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 whether it's money, whether it's sickness, whether it's suffering, or even if it's just the fact that I know life is not, does not need to be the way that it is right now. I know this world does not need to be the way that it is. And, and I think that you can fix it, so go ahead and fix it. I don't have to be sick. My child doesn't have to be sick. My my family doesn't have to be broken in the way that it is. I know I don't need to live in fear like I do or despair like I do. I I, I know that you can take away the addiction in my life. I know that you can can lead me away finally from this hole that I keep falling into of sin again and again and again. I believe that you can do that stuff. So do it. You know? This is what the the apostles are saying to Jesus they're saying are you are you now going to do the thing that we believe that you can do kind of getting tired of giving you the benefit of the doubt here walking away going I know I know it's it's, it's. the thing about Jesus you got to understand is he's kind of he's kind of on his own time frame it's, I, I, have you ever had that person um, in your life maybe in your family I say in your family because I have I have a lot of people like this in my family kind of both sides of the family who just are totally operating on their own sort of time frame. There's like, there's, there's no sense of urgency at all, okay? So, you know, maybe after the years, you have just realized uh, we can make plans all we want, but they're just going to kind of do whatever maybe, or maybe like everything's just kind of a suggestion, right? Um, my family was planning a, um, a surprise uh, birthday party for my grandpa. I think he was like turning 75. Huge party, huge party, you know, like at this big country club. It was like this giant deal. And, uh, and we had asked some members of the family to be responsible for getting him to come to the surprise party, right? So we're all waiting. This is it. Uh, everybody's there. We, we are literally waiting for him to walk in, and he doesn't show up. And after like fifteen minutes, they say, "Hey, Ed, call them." So I call them, and and, and, and they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're um, uh, um, I'm I'm about to get in the shower, and then when I'm done, we're we're ready. We're just gonna we're gonna go pick him up and come over there." And I've got like this room full of people watching me, going, "Where is he? What is he? Is he coming? Are they here? Are they in the parking lot? What's happening?" And I'm like, "You're getting in the shower right now. You're getting okay." Uh, and uh, and then I realized like. Why did we ask them to bring him? This was not a good idea. Who thought of this? Whose idea was that? That's not a good idea because, you know, I mean, great people, but like, Totally, just like going at their own speed, right? And if you've ever had people like that in your life or in your family, then you know the only way that you can really deal with them is you just kind of stop expecting things out of them, right? You just go, "I'm not going to plan around them. I'm not going to. It'll make me too crazy. It'll make me too mad. I don't want to deal with it, you know." Uh, and 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 because they're just going to operate on their own time frame, right? And I think like. In the same way, the the apostles are, are, are like. I, I think it's easy for us to see Jesus this way. I think we we go, you know, I know he can do these things, sure, but you know, I just he's he's kind of on his own time, and 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 I I don't really know how that works. And even they ask him this obvious question, and his response is, "It's not your business when God's going to do what he's going to do." They come to Jesus and they say. Jesus, we, we want to see the power, we want to experience the power that we know that you have. And Jesus' response to them is, I'm going to give you power, but it's not going to be at all the power that you're expecting. You see, and this might sound crazy, but when we read this, what, what we see is this, their problem is not that they, that they were asking him for too much or that they were expecting him to do too much. The problem was the same problem that they've always had with Jesus. They weren't expecting him to do enough. They weren't asking him to do enough. Their understanding of the power of Jesus was small. It was like regional power. They, they, they were like, we're good with a nation of people. We don't need the world to, get, to be hearing about you. That's fine, you know. We're just good with these people, right? We want to see power, like, we want to see now. We don't want to see this big-scale universal thing, you know. We, we believe in what you can do. We believe in what God can do. Don't drag us into it. And Jesus is like, you know what? If you, if you believe that I have power, that God himself has power, then do you believe that that same power can enable you to do things in his name? Because that's really trusting in God's power. That's really trusting in him. We, we say, um, you know, that God does things. You know, we give him credit for things. We go, oh no, God, man, what God did this, God did that. Yeah, it was so great. But I don't know how often we really mean that when we say it. I think it's very easy for many of us to to um, to talk about the power of God, to talk about the things that He does, but um, it's it's not something that we maybe that we really mean quite as much as we as as we say. I, I guess what I'm saying about this is I think a lot of the times that we. Talk about the things that God does that He can do. I think they're more sort of token gestures. You know, you know what a token gesture is? I looked this phrase up because I was trying to find exactly the right phrase to describe what's what's so what is the thing that we're so prone to do? A token gesture, it's a thing that you do, not because it accomplishes something or because it 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 acknowledges something real. It's a thing that you do just because. Um, it symbolizes something. It's kind of like, I don't really believe that this thing is true. I'm just saying it because you kind of have to say it, right? It's like a disclaimer, right? Oh, look what God did. Oh, look at how great God is, right? Like, oh, look at these things that God's done, right? We, we, we talk about these things. We, we talk about God's power in that way. But I don't know that we really believe in God's power that much. And one of the things that you encounter whenever you talk about the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit is the idea of God's power. And this is the thing that we're going to confront in this series. We are going to ask the question, what do I think God's power really is? How big is his power? What does that mean in my life? I think we all, most of us, probably have some inkling, some sense that we probably don't have a big enough view of the power of God. About uh, space, is that most of the discoveries that we make uh, of new objects and new sort of phenomenon in space come not because we're able to observe those things. But uh, they come uh, because we see the effects of those things. It's interesting. Scientists will look out into space with telescopes and all kinds of other things. And, and they'll say, you know, uh, we, we see gravity or space itself or, or energy or light moving in a certain way. And, 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 and they say something has got to be causing that to happen. There, there's something that has to be going differently than we thought it was supposed to go or maybe an object or something that's making it happen that way. And then years or maybe even decades later, they'll discover the thing that's doing that. You know, oh, it's called a black hole. You know, oh, it's called a, you know, supernova. And I think that's actually a black hole. I don't know. Uh, you know, oh, it's, it's the stuff called like, you know, uh, dark matter, you know, or, or, uh, or, or magnetic waves that, that function this unique, different way. Solar flares or something. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, the point is, uh, this is how uh, these discoveries work is, is they see the effect of the thing and they start to study it they go, something is happening and, and something massive must be causing it. Something incredible must be causing it. Or, or in the case of, of, of discovery of things like relativity and, and studies with gravity and, and understanding the physics of those things, saying just looking at the way things must be moving tells us that there must be these other things that we don't yet know about that we don't yet see. We tend to do the opposite of that when it comes to uh, God. But, and we don't even realize it. We, we say, oh, I know God's there. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know Jesus is great. He's real. No, totally. He's there. Yeah, absolutely. And then we go years and years, and we don't really expect anything different to happen, right? We don't, we don't actually expect that our lives would work in such a way that someone would have to look at it and say, man, your God must be real, because I don't know what in the world would explain whatever's going on for, with you, you know? And, and now what we like to think is, you know, oh, no, 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 maybe I'll make so much money or I'll be so healthy and happy or my life will be so full of love that people will look at me and go, there's something even extra amazing and wonderful about you and your life and you must have a God behind that thing. That's not how it works. We all know that. That's not how people really work. In fact, if people look at your life and they think it's a really great, perfect, wonderful life, they go, all right, well, you know, uh, i 'm going to have the discipline that person has i 'm going to have the education that person has i 'm going to have all the mostly you just say i want to have all the stuff that person has right but 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 it never uh, in all the times that we say oh yeah god 's real i know he 's real he 's totally real absolutely Jesus has power absolutely totally the power of god 's so amazing. look what God did he showed up it 's so great we don 't actually expect that our lives would show the effects of that thing. We rarely, if ever, find ourselves saying, the only way to explain what, I, what happened there, what I saw there, what I experienced here, is that God is there. When something is big, or as the Bible puts it, uh, weighty, that thing is holy. Holy means weighty. It means heavy. Holiness is is this weightiness that displaces everything around it. I love that description of God. This idea that God is holy, which means he just kind of moves everything else out of the way. And Jesus is saying, you guys need to have a much bigger expectation of the kind of power that you want to see in this God. And you need to have a much bigger expectation of how he is going to use you. Because that's what he's going to do. There is no doubt, none whatsoever, that Jesus was God. They had watched him perform miracles. They had watched him die and be resurrected. And now they were watching him. They were gazing at him, it says, as he just kind of floats away. I think the first thing that is so clear in this this first chapter of Acts, is that now that these disciples and apostles have no reason whatsoever to doubt the truth of the things that Jesus has been saying, the, 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 the statements that he's made, because of what they've seen him do. I think what we see here first is this, is that their problem is not that they, they expect too much or even the fact that they want to experience his power. The problem is that, yet again, they don't actually recognize how big his power is. The problem is that their expectations are too low. The other problem is that they don't understand that he wants to use them. He doesn't just want to take care of them and keep them happy. Because Jesus says to them, he says, uh, I'm going to give you power and it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says to them, you will have this incredible power that is the Holy Spirit. And I cannot even be, I'm not even going to, I told myself, I'm not, I, this is probably sounds weird, but I told myself, I'm, I'm not going to talk that much about the Holy Spirit because, because there's, a, there's a lot that we're going to say about the Holy Spirit in this series. And as we begin to look at the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and what happens and what that does in the church and in the world, but, but basically it's a fire, it's consuming and it's crazy. But... He says to them, the power that you will receive through the Holy Spirit, you're going to use and you're going to go and spread this very same gospel that you have all the way to the ends of the earth. I want to use you and I want to do things through you. Their faith was not big enough to believe and understand this. They were completely stunned. There's two things, I think, that are going on here. One is, as I've said before already, is that is that they have a very small view of the power of God still, which is crazy, but they do, and, and we do, and so we understand that, I think. But the other thing that's going on is that this is... This is the last thing that they signed up for. It is the last thing that they expected. They are ready to finally relax and kick back and just enjoy being in the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives them the biggest job that you could ever imagine. He says, I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody about me and about this thing. And you know what they do? This is so great. We read this in, in chapters, in verses 9 and 10. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Okay, so, so literally what is happening is the disciples are talking to Jesus and he, and he answers their question. He's like, guys, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what God's timing is, but instead I'm promising you this great power. And I'm telling you right now that you're going to go and you're going to reach the nations with the gospel. Every people group is going to hear about me before I return. And here's what they do. They just, and then, he, and then he floats away, which is just awesome. He floats away up in the sky and they're just doing this. It says they're gazing, this word here, you translated it, you know, it, it literally means they just are like staring at him in disbelief as he just floats away after the greatest bait and switch of all time. He just floats away and they're, and they're staring. And, and so, so these, these angels, these guys in their midst, right? It's like hilarious. It's like this huge group of disciples, a bunch of guys, and they're standing there staring at Jesus like, did this really just happen? Did this really just happen? And then there's like someone next to them going, "Hey. Hey. Hey, you know? It's no big deal. He's going to come back in the same way. You, you 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 know, you you're not you're not new to this whole thing, you know? I mean, I was trying to think of a name for this message and I like whatever whatever name you would associate with this right here. That's the that's the name of our of our message this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Because that's basically what this first chapter of Acts is. This first chapter of Acts is what happens after the amazing, incredible, uh, heroic uh, conclusion of the Gospels. Is a bunch of guys going, wait, what? Wait, wait, hold on. We have to what now? You're giving us a job? You're, 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 what? Like, no, that's not what we want. I I, I don't know how many of you remember this, and I'm not going to spend very long talking about this because it is incredibly painful to talk about, but I will just say this. In the 90s, a rite of passage in terms of exercising your bad judgment was the Columbia House Music Club, the BMG Music Club, the, you know, whatever other music club there was. Uh, uh, the way this worked was, uh, and these things were everywhere. These advertisements, these magazine things were everywhere, okay? And I took a year to sign up for one in middle school. And it was because I wanted to try, I wanted to be so careful to pick the best eight CDs for my, eight CDs for a penny, right? I can't remember all of them. I only remember three of them. I remember I got the Lion King soundtrack. I remember I got TLC Waterfalls. And I remember I got um, Dangerous by Michael Jackson. Um, And uh, I don't remember the rest, but you you get your eight CDs. It is amazing. You're like, I can't believe this actually works. Well, then comes the catch, right? Here's how it works, everybody. They send you a postcard in the mail every month. And the postcard says, we're going to send you the greatest CD that you've never heard of. You have no interest in owning. And we're going to charge you full retail price for it for 30 bucks. If you don't want it, don't worry. Just send us the thing back and we won't send it to you, you know? But if we do send it to you, you have to pay 30 bucks for it. Uh, So basically, this entire thing commits me to like a multiple year legally binding contractual agreement with this company that, that hinges on me as a middle schooler regularly checking the mail and responsibly replying, which I never do. And so they send you CDs, and you keep them even though you don't like them, and you rack up a bunch of, like, you know, bills and late due notices, and I didn't even have a checking account, I had no way to pay them anyway, and I start getting more and more and more, and, you know, eventually, like you know you're 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 over your head in debt in middle school you finally have to come and tell your parents guys look what i did and uh and and it's like what am i going to do am i ever going to be able to own a house am i ever going to be able to get married are they going to send me to jail I, i definitely thought i was going to jail I read something on the, on the news a couple of years ago. It was like five years ago. It was when, uh, when Columbia House went, uh, they filed bankruptcy and there was all these people writing on the internet, like finally, like, like decades of, of bad middle school debt has been finally forgiven. We can all live, you know, in peace. Uh, th- this, this, this whole CD club thing to me is like the greatest example of the bait and switch, right? You think that you're getting one thing you think it's so great, right? There's nothing, nothing, nothing to lose in this. And then you get committed, you sign up, you get into it, you're ready for it, here we go, I'm, I'm sold. And then they pull the bait and switch on you. And the next thing you know, you're like, how can I get out of this, right? I think if many of us are honest, that is, that is a lot of how we feel when we talk about the Great Commission, when we talk about the mission of God. The fact of the matter is, the very uh, heart of what it is to be a Christian is to seek the lost, is to save the lost. Um, a well-known, one of the most well-known and well-respected New Testament scholars is, is N.T. Wright. And in his book, The New Testament and the People of God, he talks about the, the mystery of the growth of the church. And what he says is he says, really, the church should not have grown as fast as it did, he says. It just—it it wasn't in circumstances that were that were like perfect. Uh, in fact, the sacrifice that a person had to take on when they began following Jesus was so great that it really. It wasn't something that you would stay in because it would make your life better. Uh, And then he explained all the ways in which for Jewish people and for Gentile people and for pagans, as they were called, and for uh, even slaves, he said, even slaves who followed this cult, as it was known, life would often be very difficult for them. And so as he asked the question, how then did the church just explode in the world And his answer for it is this. He says, Why then did early Christianity spread? Because early Christians believed that what they had found to be true was true for the whole world. The impetus of mission sprang from the very heart of the Christian conviction. He goes on to say, this missionary activity was not an addendum to the faith. It was basically about something else. Christianity was never more itself than in the launching of the world mission. He says, Christianity was never more itself than at this time. Christianity was never more itself than at the launching of the world mission, which is exactly what Jesus has just done for his disciples here in Acts 1. Because to be a follower of Jesus at the very core is about believing in something that is not just true for you. It's about believing something that is true for everyone. It's about believing something that is true for the entire world. And as offensive as that even is, the idea that, 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 we, would, that we would think that our beliefs are, uh, are true for everyone, not just ourselves, that, that because this, he says, was at the core of what the early church believed, he said, they were never more themselves than when they were pursuing the mission of God. You see, even though uh, when many of us are honest, we would admit that, uh, that we're not interested in being used by God to reach other people, that we're, we're done with the way things are. We're, we're done with this world even. A lot of us feel that way at times. We say, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up because I, you know, believe in Jesus and, and, and I believe that how, uh, of course, my life would be better following Him. A lot of us would say I was, I was raised that way. I was raised believing that. I wasn't raised going to church every week, being told, like, your life is about the mission of God. No, I was, I, if anything, I was, I was raised going to church, being told your life is about trusting God and being rewarded for that, for many of us. We say, uh, that's, that's not what I signed up for. And honestly, in the very same way, we would just be standing there looking up at Jesus as he kind of floats away, going, you know, wait, just wait, hang on, you know, let's, can we talk about this? Can we compromise, you know? Can I can I just do some? Guys, there is no way to there is no way to adequately describe how much God has for each and every one of us if we can believe in his power being big enough to actually become a part of our own lives. Not God do these things for me, but God, can you actually empower me? Can you change me into being the kind of person who is like Jesus and not just make me the kind of person who gets stuff from Jesus? because now comes the real test. Do they have faith in the power of God itself, or do they just believe that this miraculous guy really could do all the stuff he said he could do? Faith is about the next step. It's not about the last step. Faith is, is is often about believing that God will continue being God, not that he will do exactly the same thing that he did before. That, that, that faith is believing that whatever happens, I know God is still God, and he actually never promised me that things would be the way they were before all the time. He never promised me that he would always do the same things in every situation. Uh, uh, again, what, what we're seeing here in Acts is we're seeing the way that God's plan develops and grows, the way that God's desire to be connected to us gets better and better. Because now, apart from just saying, now along with just saying, you, you can have a relationship with me, what he's saying is he's saying, I can empower you to do these things which is incredible. Acts is about a people, normal people, who were used by God to do absolutely incredible things and to completely change the world. That same God fills each and every one of us he is, he is telling us continually about the power of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, can we have enough faith to believe and to ask for power that is bigger, not smaller? Can we believe that, that the problem may actually be not that I'm asking God for too much, but that I'm not asking God for enough. Not that I believe. uh, These are the two things that we see here in Acts 1. We see the promise of a power that is far beyond what we would have asked for. And we see the call to a mission that is at the absolute heart of what our church is really about. Can we believe in that power? Can we answer the call for that mission? Our hope is that as we walk through acts together in a time that many of us are suffering more than we have before, honestly, that we can see the truth of that, that it will give us faith And that that faith will give us the ability to do what faith always does, which is to take a step in uncertainty, knowing that the way our life will turn out, we will see the evidence of God working. Let's pray. Father God, you are so much bigger than we could comprehend And yet for many of us, we don't expect much from you. We don't ask much of you, Lord. We don't ask that you would use us. We simply ask that you would heal us. We don't ask that you would empower us. We simply ask that you would provide for us and make us comfortable, God. Lord, we don't expect much from you. God, the truth is, uh, today in the church, we struggle to believe that you can do great things. God, would you use us? Would you empower us? Would you give us the faith to be able to expect great things from you, Lord? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.